Welcome to 2819. I'm Sandra Dimez. And I'm Daniel Almaguer. And today's topic will be featuring unbelievable host Justin Briarly, all the way coming in from the UK. The UK? Yes! Justin Briarly! <laughs> it's going to be an awesome episode. In Everyday Apologetics, we'll hear from Justin as he explains how dice point to God's existence. In Science Faith Connection, Jeff will be talking with Justin about how to create conversations about faith. First up is Culture Talk. Sandra will be interviewing Justin on whether it's rational to be a Christian. So let's go ahead and check it out. Now it's time for Culture Talk, where we talk about culturally relevant topics that you can use to start conversations about your faith. And I'm joined today with Justin Briley, thank you so much for joining oh, us. It's a delight to be with you, Sandra. Yeah, thank you, you are an amazing speaker and author and also the host of the wildly popular Unbelievable show. So I'm so glad that you've come to visit us here. I, I should employ you as my PR person, Yes, Sandra. yes I'm down. Absolutely. Take me to the UK. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've watched a number of your videos. First of all, they're very compelling, and I love how winsome you are when you're engaging others, especially those who don't share your belief. Um, so I do want to talk about mm. one of the videos that you have yeah. where you address, is it rational to be a Christian? And that yeah. seems to be kind of a, a starting point for a lot of people that they won't engage faith yeah. because it's not rational. Mm. So mm. before we unpack kind of why you feel like it is rational, mm. let's first define what do we mean by rational? What is and isn't rational? Yeah. Well, I would say simply to be rational is to have good reasons for mm. believing something. Mm. Now, it doesn't always lead to those beliefs being true, but you can rationally believe something even when it's not true. You know, I, I could believe that my wife is at the hairdressers because she told me she was going to be at the hairdressers this mm -hmm. afternoon. But in fact, maybe she changed her mind and she went to the, the shops instead. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still rational to believe she's at the hairdressers, even if it's it, it's not the case. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, you know, we can all have reasonable beliefs. We can be a reasonable Christian, mm -hmm. we can be a reasonable atheist. We, you know, reason isn't something that's only one set of people have. Mm -hmm. We can all act reasonably. We can all have good reasons to believe what we believe. The question, of course, is what's actually true, mm -hmm. and do do the reasons we have are they the right kinds of reasons? Mm -hmm. And that's where we kind of have the conversations, and we work out whether, or maybe the reason you believe that is is actually not such a good reason. Maybe mm -hmm. there, there isn't good evidence for that particular belief you have. Maybe it turns out that you know. I was misinformed about my wife's hair appointment mm -hmm. and actually someone can tell me, oh, I saw her go over to the shop. So right. I have to change my belief. I have to use my reason and, mm -hmm. and come to a different conclusion. Mm -hmm. And often that's what's happening, you know, in the shows, in the conversations that mm -hmm. I host. It's about everyone. No one's saying everyone's being unreasonable or irrational, mm -hmm. but we're all coming to the table and we're saying, let's look at the evidence mm -hmm. and let's decide whether it's pointing towards God mm -hmm. or it's pointing towards atheism. And I think we can all do that in a reasonable way, mm -hmm. but we may come to different conclusions because we all weigh the evidence differently in the right. end. No, and I appreciate that because it is something where if you at first just have the conversation and say, well, let's lay it all out on the table and see what actually makes sense. Mm. you know. Yeah. Um, so inviting people to do that I think is so important because sometimes we're just so set in our beliefs and we don't actually examine them Absolutely. beyond yeah what we're used to hearing from Absolutely. others. Absolutely. And um, I think it's, it's really important, actually, that we're all mm -hmm. humble enough yeah. to be willing to revise our views, to mm -hmm. be open to different explanations, and to just, you know, because otherwise, you know, if we all went through life never being willing to change what we think about anything, you know, we'd, yeah. we'd lead very boring lives, wouldn't we? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to always be open to other people and have mm -hmm. genuine conversations. 
Well, you know, one of the things that you talk about when you're explaining why it's rational, you give quite a few reasons why um, you say that there are certain aspects of science that point to God, and specifically you've listed aspects such as cosmic fine-tuning, math, human value, human reason, and so forth. So can we unpack at least one or two of those? Mm. Let's start first with math. How does mm. math point to God's existence? It, it's an interesting one because most people would say, well, what on earth does mathematics right. have to do with God, right? Mm -hmm. You know, one plus one equals two. You know, it seems like a, a far remove from belief in a in a God behind the universe. But but actually, it's fascinating when you actually dig down into this. And, um, you know, one of the people who could speak brilliantly, I'm sure, on this is, is the founder of Reasons to Believe, Hugh Ross. But it, it's extraordinary when you look at the universe, the way it's been mapped out in a way that we can discover it and engage with it mm -hmm. in the language of mathematics. Mm -hmm. Physics is based on this extraordinary parsimony and beautiful kind of set of equations and, and mathematical principles. And when you look at that, it's very hard to understand why the universe should be that way. There's no natural reason why the universe should be so eminently explorable through the language mm -hmm. of mathematics, but yet it is. Um, in fact, there was a, a Nobel Prize winning physicist called Eugene Wigner who wrote a paper called The Unreasonable Effectiveness mm -hmm. of Mathematics. And, and he said it was nothing short of a miracle that the universe is describable in mathematical terms. He said there's no reason on a naturalistic worldview why this should be. Mm -hmm. At best, we can say it's a complete fluke. It's, it's a happy accident. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think it points towards the fact that there is a designer. Yeah. There is someone who kind of wrote a laws mm -hmm. into nature. The laws ultimate that, mathematician. Yeah, the <laughs> ultimate mathematician behind the whole show. Mm -hmm. And I very often find even the most non-religious scientists and physicists mm -hmm. talking in semi-religious terms about this extraordinary fact of nature mm -hmm. that it's written in the laws of mathematics. And mm -hmm. I, I had on my show, one of my big conversation shows from Unbelievable, um, Sir Roger Penrose, who oh, right. won the Nobel Prize mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, extraordinary work in physics and astrophysics and mathematics. And he himself, as a non-Christian, said, it's one of the most remarkable things. It's the way that the natural world can be explored through the realm of mathematics. And he actually believes that actually there isn't just a physical world. He believes there is an actual world of mathematics and there's an actual world of consciousness. And there's kind of, it. he, 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 he again gets quite religious in the language mm -hmm. he uses. And for me, there's a natural explanation for this. Okay. It's God. There's, okay. there's a God from whose mind all of these realms uh, evolve. These aren't just random happenstance. There's, okay. there's actually a real reason behind the way that all of these things coalesce and converge mm -hmm. in ways that humans with just these few pounds of gray matter can actually understand the complexity right. of the universe. Right. I love that. And just ex how you explained how... Um, explorable the world is mm. through math. That's exciting. Yeah. Even though I'm not like a huge, really well, great at I. math. I'm but... not great at maths either, but when I speak to people who are, mm -hmm. they say, this is uncanny. Right. This is weird. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's an, an amazing kind of way into talking to mm -hmm. people. You know, maybe you know people who are math nerds. Yeah. Talk to them about this stuff. You know, you don't even know where it may lead. Right. No, that's so fascinating. So we've talked about math or maths. Um, now, can we talk about some cosmic fine-tuning? Sure, yeah. Well, again, you've got some experts here who could, <laughs> who could do that themselves. But um, one of the most popular videos I created was actually a video looking at the, the fine-tuning of mm -hmm. the universe. And it is amazing when you look at the way 
the numbers behind the universe seem to be so incredibly finely tuned, dialed to just the right precision mm. for things like the law of gravity, for instance, the force of gravity, for it to be just right so that when matter emerges in the universe, it doesn't um, either clump together too tightly so that nothing could emerge, so that the universe collapses back on in itself, but it's not weak enough that it all flies out. Mm. In fact, it's just the right amount of gravity so that chemistry, planets, galaxies can form and life can develop. That's just one of about 30 or so of these so-called very finely tuned yeah. laws and principles in the universe. And when you look at the numbers, it is staggering. It's mm -hmm. incredible just how precise they have mm -hmm. to be, just, just ever so slightly different than they actually are, and you would find that life wouldn't be possible. Right. Um, I mean, I sometimes meet people who say, well, look, surely life could have developed. Maybe it would be some different kind of life. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, life would have found a way in the yeah. universe, even if <laughs> things had been different. But the problem with that is, if you don't have this incredible fine-tuning to start with, you, you don't even get chemistry, basic mm. chemistry, you know. You don't have anything that you could even start with as the building blocks of life. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the whole question of how life arose, even once you've got right. all that initial stuff in place. So for me, this is very powerful evidence, actually. And, and I've met many atheists who take this very seriously, actually, mm -hmm. as, as a very powerful potential argument for God, that there appears to be design at, at the, you know, right at the center of the mm -hmm. universe in the way that these physical laws, fundamental constants, seem to be perfectly synchronized mm -hmm. to allow for life to develop. Was that just a fluke? The, 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 the chances are s so remote on that. It's, mm -hmm. it's just stacked so much against mm -hmm. that possibility that that just doesn't seem to be an option on the table. The only other way people have gone is maybe, oh, maybe there's many universes, maybe mm -hmm. there's a multiverse and lots of different numbers and laws, and we just happen to be in one where it worked in our favor. Again, interesting hypothesis, but right. not one that I find persuasive for a number of different reasons. Mm -hmm. But in the end, I think this is actually a very powerful argument for a God behind the universe. Yeah. And, and I find that exciting. Uh, and more often than not, I find that for some types of people, mm -hmm. especially people who have maybe a background in engineering, mm -hmm. a background in science, this is a great conversation starter. Right. A lot of them, if you just walked up to them and said, do you believe in Jesus? They'd immediately like be, <laughs> I don't want to have this conversation. It reminds you know? me of those videos, like, do you have time to talk about our Lord and Savior? Yeah, exactly. The person's running exactly. away. It's like, yeah. and, and the problem is that very often Christians kind mm -hmm. of tend to confirm people's worst experiences right. immediately. And they think, oh no, it's one of those religious nuts, you know. Mm -hmm. But actually, if you start with something that maybe, oh yeah, no, that does sound interesting. Oh, I never thought about that. Right. Some kind of interesting scientific fact it suddenly can open up a, a really interesting conversation mm -hmm. that might eventually lead back to Jesus, right. but at least you've got the door open. And, and I think the fine-tuning of the universe for life is just one of those fascinating scientific issues which right. actually just fascinates people and, and, and which it's, it's, it's just a great tool. Right. No, you know, you bring up some wonderful points because I think if you just go right in and say, let's talk about Jesus, <laughs> you'll shut down conversation. <laughs> but if you talk about you know, like the James Webb Telescope, those images yeah. are so yeah. beautiful yeah. and they're so yeah. stunning. And we all look at them and go, mm. "What is that? Like, what does that mean? Where am I? Yeah. What What am I doing here? And how did we get here?" Kind Absolutely. of a thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And starting there and talking about the vastness of the cosmos, talking mm. about how intricate and fine tuned it is. Yeah. You just bring up such 
wonderful ways to have that conversation that's yeah. inviting. It, it is. It, it is about inviting people into mm -hmm. a conversation. Yeah. And, and God has given us actually some of the most amazing conversation starters you mm -hmm. could hope for. You know, just look at the night sky above you on a on a clear night and mm -hmm. you, you you know you've immediately got something to talk about because yeah. people suddenly realize gosh yeah who am i compared to this universe yeah. and i think that's a wonderful way to get into those conversations right well thank you so much for that i know that our viewers are going to be you know very interested in finding out more from you so i'm going to point them to your website so they can find more information if you want more from justin Briarly, go to justinbriarly.com and check out his fascinating videos and also his show unbelievable some people say that human existence is a result of a roll of the cosmic dice. Like the gambler who stakes his life savings on the next throw, we just got lucky in the lottery of life. Some people say there's no purpose in the universe, no grand plan, no God behind it all. Our numbers just came up and here we are. But I don't believe them, and nor should you. If I roll this dice, the chances of getting a six is one in six. That's not too bad. But what are the chances of me rolling six twice in a row? Well, the odds get longer. It's one in six times by one in six. That's one in 36. So I'd have to be pretty lucky to get two sixes in a row. Now, every time I add the chances of rolling another six in a row, the odds go up exponentially and it gets even more unlikely. Now, what if I rolled this dice 70 times and every single time I got a six? Okay, that's pretty unlikely, but it's possible, right? Well, in fact, the chances of rolling a six 70 times in a row are around one in 10 to the 55. That's a one with 55 zeros after it. Now, just to put that in perspective, how long would I have to stand here rolling this dice, allowing about five seconds per roll, before hitting that lucky streak and rolling 76s in a row? Well, I had a mathematician friend work it out for me. On average, you would have to continually roll this dice for 100 trillion 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 years before your numbers come up. That's a long time. What if you applied that thinking to us? What are the odds of us being here? Now, the odds of rolling 76 in a row, 1 in 10 to the 55, as it happens, those are the same odds of something called the expansion rate of the universe being just right for the existence of us here today. From the moment of the Big Bang, when our universe began to rapidly expand, the rate of that expansion was exquisitely finely balanced. Any faster, and the universe would have expanded too rapidly to allow the formation of chemicals, atoms, stars and galaxies. Any slower, and the universe would have collapsed back in on itself. But as it happens, the universe expanded at just the right rate to allow for life to develop in the future, for us to be here. It hit 70 rolls of the number six in a row, first time. And the expansion rate of the universe is just one among 30 or so other incredibly sensitively finely tuned constants and fundamental forces in the universe that must be just the way they are for the universe to be able to produce us. So let's imagine. If I went ahead and rolled this dice 70 times, and what do you know, every time it came up six. No waiting for trillions upon trillions of years, first time. Beginner's luck? Hardly. You would assume that I must have rigged it. Maybe the dice are loaded, maybe there are sixes on every side. It can't be chance. 
Now let me ask you, why would we assume that this universe with us in it, which is actually way more improbable than my 70 rolls, is just a result of chance? The fact that we're here shows that someone's loaded the dice. In fact, maybe there's no dice at all. What if the evidence points to this life-permitting universe actually being the product of an intelligent mind which intended for us to be here? Now you could come up with some speculative other theory. Maybe there's an infinite number of universes giving you an infinite number of chances to roll the dice. Maybe. But we don't have any scientific evidence for it. So if you're hanging your hat on that possibility, then you're every bit as much committed to a faith position as the person who says God was behind it. Believing in God isn't a delusion. It's a perfectly reasonable conclusion when we look at the fingerprints on our universe. And if it's true that we aren't just the fluke result of a cosmic roll of the dice, and that we're actually here because a grand designer intended us from the very beginning, well, that's worth staking something on. Hello, Jeff Zwerink. Welcome back to Science Faith Connection, the segment of our show where we explore important scientific and philosophical ideas to help you see the truth of the Christian faith and be more confident to go out and share it. Today, I'm excited. We're joined by Justin Brierley, host of The Unbelievable Show, and we get a chance to just talk about what are the status of apologetics and how can you interact with atheists and people with different worldviews? Justin, good to have you here today. Thank you, Jeff. It's a delight to be with you. I've enjoyed being on your show and getting yes. to know you over a number of years. Uh, why don't you just uh, give our audience a little bit of what is Unbelievable and why did you decide to do that? Well, Unbelievable as a radio show has been going for probably 16 years. So it started airing on Premier Christian Radio in the mm -hmm. UK uh, and really is the first show of its kind, I think, that existed in the UK because we don't have many Christian radio stations anyway, mm -hmm. unlike in the US. Um, and this was a show where we started bringing Christians and non-Christians together for dialogue and debate. Uh, and that has produced some wonderful conversations over the years, lots of interesting relationships with the various people who have come on. Uh, and over the years, the show went from being just a radio show to a podcast. So a lot of people starting to pick it up all over the world, including here in North America, right. um, and also a diversity of listeners. So not just Christians listening, but a lot of atheists and agnostics also tuning in. And so it's been a really interesting journey. Um, and then we moved on to doing video as mm -hmm. well. So a lot of people watch now the video shows that we do. We, we started putting on conferences. You, of course, have right. come over with reasons to believe to be part of some of those conferences. And there's been books and other resources that have come out of it. So, But at the heart of it all, it's about bringing different perspectives together to dialogue and debate and just see what happens in the process. So I know you've been doing this for quite a while and a, and a few years ago you wrote a book about why you're still a Christian after That's having, because right. you've engaged with some pretty yeah. strong skeptics and yeah. I'm assuming heard pretty good arguments. Yeah. So what have you learned or what, do you, what are the things that as you've interacted with these different positions that convinces you that Christianity is yeah. still every bit as true as we've always thought it has been? Uh, and when when I wrote that book, it was really because so many people were asking me that question. It was around the 10-year mark of the show, and they said, having had all of these atheists and well-known skeptics on, what, what still makes you convinced that Christianity is true? And so it was my attempt to kind of, yeah, boil down what I think some of the key arguments are for mm -hmm. God, for Christianity, uh, and to also, you know, actively engage with the other side. I mean, one of the key things I realized, I think, early on in doing the show was that 
nobody comes to life with a, a blank slate, a neutral kind mm. of perspective. We all come with a worldview, a way of looking at the world. Um, and I think a lot of atheists assume that they're the neutral bystander and that the Christians have mm. to do all the work of convincing them about these strange beliefs they have about God and heaven and the supernatural. Whereas in fact, what I discovered was that all of the atheists I was inviting on the show, they had their own particular set of beliefs. Mm -hmm. Very often it comes under the label of naturalism, that okay. all that ultimately exists is matter in motion, the laws of nature, that everything is reducible to that. But that has all kinds of consequences to it. So mm -hmm. it means that there is actually no such thing as beauty or love or right and wrong, um, justice. Uh, there's no ultimate purpose to the universe. It's come from nowhere. It's going nowhere in particular. There's all kinds of things that that means. There's, there's, mm -hmm. there's a whole set of beliefs that come with that naturalistic worldview. And I realized it's just as important for the skeptic, the atheist, to explain and justify their position as it is for the Christian to be able to give a defense of their position. And, and so the show's very much been about exploring both of those. Christians being challenged to defend and justify mm -hmm. their beliefs, but atheists and naturalists being asked to give a reason for why they believe what they believe and whether it makes sense of the universe and life. And so in the book, I, I, I really took both of those positions and said, well, which position, naturalism or Christianity, makes best sense of the evidence that's available to all of us. And I looked at, in particular in the opening chapters, three things, why I believe God makes better sense than atheism does of human existence. Mm -hmm. And that's very much a chapter that deals with some of the science of the fine tuning of the universe and other right. issues that seem to point towards there being some reason behind the fact that we're here, that we're not here by dumb luck or blind chance. Um, then a, a chapter looking at God making sense of human value, that when we look inside ourselves, we, f we find this innate belief in the dignity and value of human mm -hmm. beings. And can that be explained on an atheistic or naturalistic worldview? And I don't think it can. Right. But I think there's a ready explanation if we believe in a God who mm -hmm. created us and endowed us with his image. And, and finally, human purpose, this kind of uh, this search for meaning and transcendence that seems to inhabit every time, place and culture. Mm -hmm. Could it be that that has an object that meets it? On an atheistic worldview, no, it's it's in another illusion. It's just another blind alley. Right. But actually on the Christian worldview, no, it does make sense. That, mm -hmm. that innate sense that people have that there must be more is met in someone who does offer far more. So for me, there's a number of different lines of evidence which point to Christianity making better sense. It's not a knockdown proof, mm -hmm. but it is just a sense that there's a coherence to the Christian story that for me fits better with the world around us. You know, one of the things that I'm, I'm listening to you describe this that just I think is fascinating and really resonates with me is if I, if I get what, what you're saying, it's like, hey, let's make sure we understand the totality of what we're talking mm -hmm. about here. Mm -hmm. We're not just going to talk about is there fine tuning and does this mm -hmm. evidence point mm -hmm. for or against and restrict to that as, as fun as that little argument mm -hmm. is. Yeah. We have to step back and say, okay, if we take the Christian worldview, what comes with that? The good, mm -hmm. yeah. the bad, the yeah. challenging, and yeah. everything. Yeah. And we have to do the same thing with naturalism, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which has a that seems to have a profound implication for how we prepare and think about conversations. So, how would you encourage a conversation yeah. or a Christian to prepare for those kinds of conversations? And I think this is critical because so often I think 
the in in quote unquote apologetics we kind of deal in arguments mm -hmm. but we don't deal in conversations very much okay. and actually life is made of conversations not just clever arguments and and so what we've tried to do on the show especially is model what these arguments look like when they are put into a conversational format when you're going mm -hmm. back and forth and that's as much about listening to the other person as it is about putting your case to that person. Okay. I, I want to understand, firstly, what that other person actually believes. I don't want to assume that mm -hmm. I know their position. Uh, and, and often the most interesting part of the conversation is, is when I'm asking questions of the, the atheist or the agnostic, you know, tell me about why you believe, you know, or what you don't believe in mm -hmm. and why, you know, but where you think that things like human value come from, why we should act in certain ways towards each other. I want them to tell me, you know, how mm -hmm. they ground those beliefs. And then that can be the start of a really interesting conversation. So I, I want it to be a two-way dialogue in that way. And I equally will invite the questions, you know, about Christianity and why mm -hmm. you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, why you believe that the Bible points towards the, the resurrection of Jesus, all those sorts of important questions. But I want it to be both, both and, mm -hmm. so that we feel that there's a, a genuine dialogue between the two parts. And and I found that to be a really interesting way of opening it up, and, and it, it makes a big difference, I find. Well, and it, it just seems to flow out of, you know, first, first Peter, or second, second, first Peter 3.15, yeah, yeah. You know, that we're prepared to give a defense for yeah. the hope that's within us. I mean, we got to have the hope, yeah. but then we got to be prepared to defend it. Yeah. But then there's this other step of being able to share and care about and engage yeah. with the other person's yeah. thinking, not just here's my knockdown case, yeah. listen to it, be irrational or become a Christian type, type yeah. mentality. And it's that end bit of the verse, isn't it? With gentleness and respect. And, right. and that's got to, it's got to be about the way you present things. You know, it's not just the arguments you make, it's the way you make those arguments. And for me, that's, that's half of the thing with The Unbelievable Show has actually been modeling not just arguments but conversations where there's a genuine give and take there's a genuine graciousness where people on diametrically opposed points of view can actually still have a really fruitful conversation and that's a very exciting place to be because mm -hmm. i think a lot more happens in that moment than just a kind of just a sterile argument mm -hmm. there, there's there's a kind of meeting of minds there's you know people get on with each other friendships are made relationships happen and that's when you know something dynamic can happen well, and I, and I find that fascinating just because, uh, you know, at least I know you go back not too many years ago in the U.S. and you could really have diametrically opposed views, but they still enjoy being yeah, together yeah. with one another. And it seems like we're losing that. So yeah. I think Unbelievable is doing a great service by modeling that. Well, it's interesting because at the same time that Unbelievable has grown, so the polarization in popular culture has, has gotten worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And I think social media is driving a lot of that the way that that enables people to kind of be anonymous and just throw verbal hand grenades at each other. Uh, it's much harder to be impolite to someone that you're sitting down with and having a conversation. And that's the beauty of The Unbelievable Show. I think it does force people to take each other seriously, to not just write each other off, um, to, to kind of paint cardboard caricatures of each other, but to have genuine conversations. And I think we're, you know, we're desperate for that in our culture and we, we do need more of it. Well, thanks, Justin. I appreciate your comments a lot. You know, as a Christian, we are convinced that Christianity is true and, and other people have different worldviews. And part of what we need to do is, one, understand our worldview so that we can articulate it and defend it. 
but also learn how to be in conversations with people who have different worldviews. You know, I would encourage you, Justin Brierley and the Unbelievable Show and Podcast uh, is a great resource for modeling that. Go uh, check out the internet, look up Unbelievable, check and see how Justin's done that, so that you can be better equipped to engage in these important conversations about the truth of Christianity. We hope this episode has helped equip you to share your faith with compassion and confidence. And you know what? I know that we had so many wonderful conversations with, with Justin. Mm -hmm. It was great to hear him really unpack this comfort that he has with challenges, you know, being yeah. able to say, hey, I don't know the answers quite yet, or sure, I'll take some lumps and just um, let people process their right. their challenges against the Christian faith and right. be at peace and have a, a calm conversation with people. Exactly. I thought yeah. it was so great how he was talking about there's um, space to be able to talk to people and to address their doubts and their issues with Christianity, but also just be like, hey, this is what I know, this is what I believe, and you know, respect what they know and what they believe too. So I thought the whole episode was great. Oh yeah, and even just understanding that the Christian faith is an livable worldview, that was also, I think, really, really mm -hmm. helpful. Right. So if you enjoy conversations like this, be sure to subscribe to the show and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at 2819show. And if you would like the audio version of the show, you can find us on most major podcast services. Just search Reasons to Believe Podcast. See you next week. See ya.